Hello and welcome back to Henry Weston's Old Mate, the podcast. It is 2024. I've got Mark Jones with me. We're going to be talking turf. Um, I need some help because I think turf talk, turf chat, talking turf, I think all these slogans have been taken on, probably infringing on copyrights every time I put this out. Um, please like, rate and review us. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to try and get some more content out. Mark's now featuring on his uh, fourth podcast. I've mentioned him enough. Let's get over and hear from him. Mark, Happy New Year. So thank you for joining me again. How are you doing? I'm good, Stuart. Happy New Year to you as well. And um, yeah, I suppose I should get the elephant in the room out of the way first. Um, I am no longer connected with the turf industry. Um, Difficult decision after 38 years of of working in it and with it. And uh, well, I have to put myself first and mental health first and also um, financially, you know. So, um, as you know, I was I was working with soil biology um, company who I've got a lot of time for and, and an ethos I've got a lot of time for. But um, the, the greenkeeping world isn't ready for it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, which is sad, 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 sadly the case, but I am not surprised to hear that, Mark. Yeah, I, I remember when um, Hilary Murphy, um, who, who founded the company, came because I'd been working with him for a few years, and he said to me, "Would would I be interested?" And I thought, "Yeah, I, I, I do realise an alternative way using soil biology and soil health as the basis for managing a golf course is it's not for everybody uh, for for many reasons." And um, I thought, "Mate, well, if if, if it's twenty five percent of of greenkeepers out there or course managers." Um, express an interest then i think it, it'll be well worthwhile unfortunately it's nowhere near that i think i was the number of glazed expressions when i was talking to people is they're just like either not listening not interested or just you know well maybe didn't understand what i was saying maybe i was putting it forward wrong but you know it's it's not for them and i think yeah the industry is not ready for that big shift yet um they keep pecking away, and uh, and the people who are using it are having great results. But as I said, it's not for everybody. So, well, what we're going to talk about today, Mark, is, and we're going to touch on on a few aspects in this chat. We'll we'll look at forty five minutes to an hour. We'll try not to go beyond that. But we want to, as per usual, there is multiple debates going on on online forums, Facebook, if you will, other social media sites. Um, and there is so much that people want to talk about. And what we don't want to talk about on this podcast is going over and over and over stuff that I, me and you and myself with others have talked about before. The the, the battle for higher wages in the industry rages on. The problems people are experiencing with flooding and the climate rages on. Uh, worms as a, as a pest, you know, constantly, you know, and it's getting worse with the increased rainfall. Well, certainly this year. Um, but we're going to touch on the, on many things today, Mark. And probably, if we're any good, we'll line ourselves up for the next chat and hopefully do it quite well. Oh, they'll be sick of me by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, the numbers are up, Mark. You're, you are my most popular term. You're probably my most popular guest. Um, but what we want to, what I thought would help, Mark, we could set this up by talking about how. And this isn't looking back to the past and saying, oh, it was all better in the past. We had access to so much more, blah, 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 because the past is the past and the now is the now and we've got to live in the now. But we can and we will look back and see how things 
were done. And I want to start by looking at potentially how the climate affected how we did things, in particular, this time of year. So we're in January. This is we're recording this in January, very early January. But I joined the industry, Mark, in 1998, and I never planned to hang around in the industry. I joined it to earn some money, and I'm still here now. You are, dare I say, a generation, generation and a half earlier than myself joining the industry. And yeah. I know, Mark, when I joined the industry late, I think it was October, November 1998, and I didn't have a clue. But when I think back to then, I can remember that we weren't mowing the golf course. And then it was bloody freezing. I was in that job for three years. And I remember each winter being the same, you know, as I developed into a greenkeeper, if you will, and decided it was something I wanted to do, I took more and more notice. But I think back to the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, if you were still mowing grass in November, it was probably a an outlier of a winter, you know, it wasn't the norm. Um, mm. It's very much the norm now. I got we mowed 18. My greens are 0.7, 0.8 hectares. We mowed them yesterday. It took three full bins off across a very small area of greens. Yeah, unbelievable. Not not really fertilizing. You know, they're looking after themselves. They should be asleep, ideally, but they are growing. And um, can you, would you be kind enough to just, I don't want an exact date. You joined the industry a bit earlier than me. Can you think back to that time and, and winter, if you will, began so much earlier. Yes. Well, I think the, the job has changed so much, especially the, the seasonal work we used to do and the, and the maintenance of the golf course. I remember when I first started it, you know, when I was a boy, you know, as Uncle Albert would say, um, <laughs> they we we did put the mowers away. And what we, we, we if we were mowing with triple mowers on the greens, we, we, we'd have a couple of hand mowers set up, ready to go. And we could cut, we'd try and cut the greens by hand once a week. And just, just to top them and give them a little bit of a light roll. Um, aeration was done very infrequently because we didn't have the equipment. I, you know, if you were slitting, it, you know, it was up with a compact tractor or even a pedestrian slitter. Um, yeah. But you, you didn't do any cutting. And the head greenkeeper at the time said to me, oh, winter's when we recharge our batteries and, you know, we take the foot off the gas because golfers' expectations are a lot, lot lower because they know it's winter and there's no competitions in the winter. And they just, the only comp they have is they'll have a turkey trot at the end of, at the end of November, beginning of December. And then they might have a, a nine-dollar competition for a bit of fun in between Christmas and New Year. But... Winter leagues came in and got a uh, Gore-Tex, you know, for, you know, yeah. the, the joke we used to have was what's killing golf courses in the winter is Gore-Tex because they can go out and not get wet. And, <laughs> you know, um, but then we went into a period where we would we started to do all our projects and our construction work in-house. So winters became busier. We still weren't doing much mowing. We weren't mowing roughs. We might occasionally... Um, go out with some sort of mower and, and cut the perimeter of the fairways so that the members could see where the fairways started and finished, you know. But uh, the mowers were either sent away or were in a million pieces in the shed, you know. So th there had to be a time when you when you didn't do any any cutting. So we did bunker construction, we did drainage work, we did paths, we did tree work. And, and those jobs seemed to accelerate and we, we took more and more on over the years. 
But I think now there's, there's definitely been a seasonal shift and we don't tend to get cold spells before Christmas. You know, you look out the window today and it's 9, 10, 11 degrees. And as a consequence of, the, of that warm weather that we've had all autumn, really, we've had horrendous rainfall, you know, since really since back end of September, October, November, December, certainly in the northwest are off the chart weather-wise. You know, um, I think I spoke to one lad and he said since the 1st of July, they've had uh, 1.59 metres worth of rain. So 1,590 centimetres of, of right. rainfall. And, you know, and that's that's way, way above normal, you know. And we are used to wetter weather in the northwest, especially on the you know, the western side of the Pennines where the, the, the cloud comes over and then just drops its contents on the rising ground. You know, we used to joke when I was working at Manchester that we we didn't measure the rainfall in inches, it was measured in metres, you know. So um, one of the reasons why I moved to the coast, you know, to, yeah. to try and get away from that rising ground. So it's there's been huge changes. And, and I think golfers expectations as, as i jokingly said the use of gore-tex um also the aging demographic of golfers has put pressure on us because they demand that they can use power caddies yeah. um they want they want buggy use for the for the people who are, are not as able to get around the golf course and and legislation has dictated that we have to provide in some way the ability for all people to be able to get around the course 365 days a year in some way you know yeah. whether it be a shortened course six nine holes or whatever but it's all adding to the pressure put on course managers you know and as you and I have said so many times Stuart you know. You'd, you'd lie awake in bed in, in November, December and hear the rain thrashing against the windows. And you'd, you'd, you'd know that when you got into work in the dark in December, there'd be six or seven cars on the car park and they'd all be looking at you. Are we open? A trolley's on. A buggy's on. Oh, don't say it's carry only. You know, so it's it just a massive increase in pressure and expectations, you know. Yeah. I mean, I experienced I experienced that and I. Uh... I'd like to think uh, I'm I'm pretty strong and not necessarily good at dealing with members, but I'm pretty good at getting my point across and seeming to be confident and strong in a maybe a one-on-one -on -one situation. Uh, I recently, and it's a very small example, but I, I we have a new board at the golf club, and it has two sliders where you can put trolleys and winter wheels, blah blah blah, yes or no. Um, in the dark a few weeks ago. I had a group of six golfers waiting by this new board after considerable amounts of rain, waiting to see if I was going to change it to a yes from a no. Um, yeah. and, I mean, I joked with them and said, said obviously, you don't, you, you guys are clever enough to understand there's going to be no wheels today. And the reaction, the reaction to me informing them that wheels would remain off was not a pleasant experience. They weren't rude in any no. way, but it was, I felt like, I felt internally, I felt quite uncomfortable with the situation. And I can imagine somebody who may be more prone to worrying about those things may well have um, taken that on board uh, and may well have affected their mental health. Um, Definitely. I'm wittering a bit there, Mark, but that's just one example. And and it, it is tough, and there's so much. We, we could have a talk about rainfall on its own. 
Moving forward, Mark, to, to so we don't not get hung up on too many points, but we want to cover a little bit in, in this episode. Um, so the winters are extended, expectations are higher. As you said, we are we we are expected legally to try and supply or, or allow all our paying members to to use have access and if, if they're only allowed to if they can only play golf with a buggy then we have to do everything we uh, best we can to accommodate that yeah what is a huge huge problem for me certainly and i guess everyone else when i allow wheels onto the golf course the amount of worm casts on, on my site and probably every other site unless you're fortunate to be right on the coast and on the pure natural dune sand um it builds up on the wheels, it builds up on the buggy wheels, it builds up on the golf shoes, it's transported onto aprons, onto greens, onto paths, into clubhouses, into spike bars, into pro shops, and causes all manner of pain to, to everyone. Yes, um, yes. Years, well, not so long ago, Mark, we won't mention any product names, but one of the massive weapons in our armory as a, as a greenkeeper or a course manager, as you were and I now am, um, there were chemical products that allowed you to go out and if you had enough budget, blanket spray your golf course and basically prevent the, the worm casting. Um, you would alleviate and almost eliminate the problems of mud buildup. Um, we'll go on to discuss disease in a minute, Mark, but we I understand why products containing whatever they you know let's not let's not get into the products but i understand why they were banned i understand we don't want to be killing worms some of them were deemed to be dangerous to us as humans you know the person putting mm -hmm. them on and i fully understand that and it, i would i would agree with it but it makes the job brimming hard and i speak to a few people sales reps if that's the right word for them asking come on you, you know you guys your companies it must be aiming towards some sort of worm control that's going to do us a better job less expensive with more longevity than some of these saponin based products these soil conditions yes. um mark when you go back i mean it wasn't some i've only been a course manager for 18 months but i remember working on i, I remember I don't remember worms ever being a problem back in, in the day, if you will, because we were able to prevent them almost 100%. Well, well when I first got into um, greenkeeping, I was in a period, I, I'd started in a period where actually mercurials were still available. And while I never sprayed them, because worms weren't an issue, because they'd probably been sprayed four or five years previously, and, and I believe the effects lasted over 10 years. Yeah. You know. Um, but then we went from those to carbenzims yeah. and uh, those sorts of related products that, that would control worms. Um, all right, we were having to spray them two or three times during the autumn, or, or, you know, but they were they were relatively cheap. And, and that's one of the big issues is that they were relatively cheap. And um, the development of these chemicals is, is massively expensive, which we all, all realise. And we also realise that, we piggyback agriculture. Uh, most of our chemicals come from the agricultural base and they're adapted to fit turf. Um, 
one of the first things farmers do or farm agricultural chemicals is they're tested to see if they harm earthworms. And if they do, they're rejected because farmers, you know, 90% of the time need the benefit of earthworms in the soil. Um, but we never, we never had an issue. And then I, I was fortunate that during the whole time um, I was at Manchester Golf Club, the only areas we had uh, with worms were because we were fes fescue bent dominated, like um, moorland type course, and, you know, with lots of undulation and lots of runoff. The only areas we had was with worms were anywhere where there was imported soil and maybe where the turf had been brought in, which had meadow grass in it, you know, so, uh, or a bit of ryegrass even, you know, anywhere with the fescue, um, because it's fescue through its, the exudates which are released through the roots of the plant, they create a, a habitat around themselves to encourage their development and, and, and growth and they acidify the soil naturally. That's why um, that the, the uh, Sussex Downs, um, which are, chalk are they or yeah they are um high fescue because the fescue creates its own environment so we noticed that we could use um fescue seeds to gradually and it's a very slow process yeah. to introduce fescues to areas and, and acidify the soil so we, we we were trying to do that in in these areas well when i went to morecambe Morecambe, completely different type of land, even though it's it's right next to the coast road and it's on, you know, actually on Morecambe Bay. Wormcasts will, will be the death of Morecambe Golf Club in the winter because it's they, it's just that sort of very sticky, you know, lots of trees, as we talked about previously, lots of leaf litter, lots of shade, you know, which changed the nature of the land and increased the, the, the worm issue. As the chemicals have been removed, and that was about the time I went to Morecambe Golf Club, I was I was I was I had my eyes opened. I'd never seen worm casts like that. You couldn't in from October to February, you couldn't drive across a fairway on a utility vehicle without leaving two brown lines behind you. You know, even on dry days, you know, yeah. because the worm casts would just stick to the wheels. You know, we managed to get a winter wheel policy in to, um, but even winter wheels that. The mud sticks to them, you know, and but there's less there's less smearing on the fairways. We got carry only in as as, a, as an option to keep the golf course open, and and you know a, a good percentage of the members got on board with that. But we have to look at alternatives because there there isn't a, a worm control chemical coming over the hill to rescue turf, um, whether it be and and I'm not a fan of the saponins because. Yeah. Of, of what they do and also huge cost huge cost and also very unreliable in their results you know um, I, I can attest to that mark and yeah um with sorry to interrupt but i know uh but i don't pay it we have a we have an agreement through our agronomist that we get products at slightly cheaper rates for whatever reason but um some of these happening based products rip is pushing three figures now you're into the 90 pound i mean we're paying somewhere just into the 60s at the moment but you can yeah. i mean if you if you walked into b&q for example and it was on the shelf the rip would be pushing 100 pounds per 20 kilo bag 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you could. Yeah. If you could get it there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Exactly, yeah. but but, yeah. but Matt, but sorry, Mark. Um, you you yeah, you were saying, and that you you're not a fan of such products, and I you know having having myself seen how they work, uh, I I can say it's although they do give you a small amount of grace from the problems. Mm-hmm. I personally, believe they will probably find their way out of turf sooner rather than later. Anyway, yes, I think there will be controls coming in. We we were, we started using an extremely slow release sulfur product, which again was had come from agriculture, and it was quite economical. It came in twenty five kilo bags, and I think at the time it's about twenty five pound per bag, and it went a long way, and it it would release over three months. Um. And it wasn't, it wasn't an overnight cure, you know, and it was a case of let's put some on in September just as the ground is starting to soften and the moisture's available. And then we put it on again after Christmas in, in the areas that heavily trafficked areas, areas where we knew like winter teas and some of the other, the main teas. But it's one of those things that you just have to keep applying it over a period of a couple of years because you're trying to acidify the soil discourage the worms because they don't like that environment and get them to move off those surfaces into areas maybe like the rough or the semi-rough. Um, and we started, as I said, with a, a program of overseeding with fescue. And I'd also used um, some graminicides to, to kill off any areas of ryegrass. And so we were, we were spending the money that we may have spent on worm control chemicals or products on fescue seed and these sulfur-based products. And we, we were starting to see results. And you see it yourself. You'll see a fescue-dominated, a bent fescue-dominated fairway, and you'll come across a drain line which has been turfed with some imported turf. And, and the whole drain line will be contaminated with worm casts. Yeah. And, there's, you know, that turf has been brought in, and the soil on, underneath that turf has been imported maybe, you know, and you see it. It's like a line in the sand, you know, you just go, oh, there's worms, and it just stops. And, you know, and you, you get down and have a look, and you can see what's going on, you know. And if you get mature fescue builds, and, and it does develop a mat, a layer of matting underneath, which people will say, oh, that's thatch. But that's another barrier for the worms to consider, you know. So, it's, yeah. But it's, it's not an overnight cure. I mean, I, I want to... This is still relevant to the point you've just made, Mark, but I've, I've just been making some notes um, as, I, as I was listening to you there. And in a forum that I was reading the other day, and it was it, it got a bit out of control, someone had, <laughs> pulled, someone, had, someone had pulled the pin on a wage debate, and there's a, a man who's, who's become quite prominent in some of these wage debates, and I, I'm not going to mention his name, but I hope to have him on the podcast soon. But um, he made a point that with regards to the wages, he, he made a point that he believes that low-paid greenkeepers have been basically propping up low membership or propping up golf clubs by allowing golf clubs to keep membership fees lower by, by paying the, by the majority of the staff low wages. And, you know, whether you agree or disagree with his points and his principles, there's not much getting away from the fact that, for me, I believed, even where I were, I, I believed, the majority of the membership are getting extremely cheap golf, probably too cheap. Um, Definitely. But what I I what I just heard from you, Sam Mark, and coming from a fescue-dominated golf course down at Royal St George's, um, 
I know what a bag of fescue seed costs you to buy off the supplier. So what your these all these ways, Mark, that you yourself have, have used and other people will be using to try and combat something like the worms. Obviously, the, that fescue playing surface is a wonderful surface. If, if you can develop it on your greens or if you can develop it anywhere, it, it provides that really top-class playing surface. But if you're thinking to combat the worms, I can't spend five, six hundred pounds on 10 litres of whatever I used to do and spray half my fairways and blah, blah, blah. If you're now thinking, I've got to invest in fescue seed, and when you get the price list through for this year's new fescues, it is frightening. We just talked yeah. about happenings. And when you think of the price of fescue seed, that is frightening. This industry, Mark, whether we want to, we don't really want to talk about wages here because we might get onto that in a minute, but We've said it before, and I'll say it again. At some point, something's going to have to give if our only way to battle worm cast, and like you said, and worm cast will be the death of big, small, any golf clubs that cannot get on top of them. And I don't know if, if even if you had a million quid, I don't know if you can ever get on top of them. I've, have, I've been having discussion with my directors that the, the small amount, we have about £5,000 within our budget that we put towards soil conditioners i won't call it worm control mm -hmm. and i just i said to them the other day you might as well put it in the bank and prop the bar up if when we yes. have when we have slow days when we have weeks we're on day 43 of wheel restrictions so the bar takings are down because the majority of our members don't rely on but like to use a trolley so i said realistically i don't think we can make a dent in it but get back to my original point everyone will be saying so what are you going on to at cur currently i don't think it's viable for many golf clubs to be able to approach something like a worm issue with either what they're able to generate through their membership or what these companies deem acceptable to charge us for products, be it fescue. And I understand why they have to charge us. Personally, I think the saponin-based product is a bit of supply and demand because I look back through golf club records and see what we were paying two weeks yeah. ago and what we're paying now. 200%, 200% price rise. Yeah, so how anyone can justify that without saying they're basically just being rip-off merchants, I don't know. Um, unless Russia and COVID has increased their cost by 200%, I don't know. Um, but how I, we we couldn't get away with increasing our membership by 200%. <laughs> couldn't get away with 20%, could you? Well, we did. We, it all kicked off at 5% this year. Um <laughs> So that's my point on that. Worms are a pain, Mark. Disease, it's something I've discussed with other people, and me and you have touched on it. I don't want to get deep into it, but there are very limited. There's a few products still available, but they all contain the same one to two active ingredients, which are the only two. I think there's still two on the market. Um, this is something, Mark, again, um, this is another problem, isn't it? Because golfers' expectations are up. And in theory, disease scars are on the up because we don't have the weapons to combat large-scale disease outbreaks across. But I don't even look at my tees. I just let them get on with it. I try my best to minimize my inputs onto greens. Uh, I'm not fungicide-free, uh, but I can't afford to. And if something happens on my tees, I just have to let it play out as it does. And it does, and they recover very quickly because yeah. they are – not as intensively managed. I think we've 
we we create a lot of the issues and we have created a lot of the issues on greens regarding disease um blanket statements that probably i'll get shot down about but i would imagine 75 percent of the golf courses on the uk are power dominated greens yeah um and we all know you know the evil of power and we all know the, the the good things about it you know for however many weeks or months a year you can manage those services but um they, t- they tend to promote softer surfaces, more thatch buildup. And these are all, you know, these are all areas where we know that it, that's disease. You know, um, we're trying to come at it from a different way now. Um, we're using dew dispersants, you know, um, which I think have a place at certain times of the winter. Um, but again, you know, um, there's a cost implication, you know, and it's fine if, you're, if your greens are disease-free or power-dominated, relatively disease free and dew free during the winter but the membership can't get there because there's you know the fairways and the approaches and the walkways from the green to the tee are completely on underwater or just you know slop then yeah you know great you're doing a good job but you're limited by your site you know so yeah it's Again, there's there's alternatives, and you know they need to be explored more. I know there's, I think Bayer have recently released a biological fungicide, um, and I think um, some of the other companies in they're in development, and they may give an alternative because that one that's one of the things is if you're going to use fungicide, you need to be able to offer different fungicides with different modes of action so that the plant doesn't build up a resistance. You know the papers are always full of our our um uh issues with with um antibiotics and the, and the search for a new type of antibiotic because they've been given willy-nilly to the you know to the population and there's now diseases are building up natural uh, resistant to those to those drugs and it's exactly the same on turf you know um our our pool of available fungicides has been slashed and slashed and slashed and the costs for the fungicides that are left have gone up and by the nature having that small choice means that their effectiveness is reduced so now we're encouraged now to spray blanket spray every four weeks as part of an you know an integrated pest management program um which i've never understood if you're going to look at alternatives to, to stop disease and control disease how do you know that's actually working if you're still putting fungicide on every month at 600 700 pounds an application you know one of one of the guys i went to see um on a golf course and he was really really struggling in the northwest of england completely power dominated you couldn't walk on the greens without getting your feet wet because the water was just coming out of the thatch bare patches from all the disease attacks he found and active disease and he told me didn't hesitate in a 12-month period he applied fungicides on 13 occasions now okay. i was shocked and because i said so well it's obviously not working because you've still got active disease you've still got bare patches you know um and then I started to question the ethics of the people who were selling those those chemicals. The the the, the I said, "Who are you buying it from?" And he told me, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, you know, fair enough." So, but 
that no one questioned. Why am I selling this guy 13, 13 applications of fungicide? There is something not working. There is something broken in the model of how he's managing his golf course. Mm. Let's give him some advice. Let's talk to him about alternative ways and get him off this cycle of pain and stress that is, is in. That The chemicals are not, you know, helping. It's, but, you know. it's, it, it is mad, isn't it? And Yes. And you kind of, some people might be tempted to listen to this and suggest, well, he obviously doesn't know what he's doing. He, he, he probably, you'd like to think he does know what he's doing. He may well be stuck in a little bit of a rut, but he may have exhausted what he believes to be every avenue of, of approach. Um, and that is the problem that I think if we move on to, and we're trying to end or move towards a positive end. This hasn't been negative, but we're sort of highlighting a lot of the problems within the industry and yes. issues we've highlighted before, and we'll continue to do so, Mark. But I have, I always try and say that, and I continue to have a very good relationship with my board of directors, my director of golf, and my manager. Some people aren't so fortunate. Definitely. Uh, and I, I, I'm i not naive enough to take everything I read on a greenkeeping forum at face value. But if you if you read in and amongst the posts and people who have been on these forums for a long time, and you get a feel for them as individuals, even though you may never have met them personally, but you get to understand who the whingers are and who, who the good ones are. And I get the impression that even some of these guys who have been in the industry – for a long time, at wonderful courses, doing wonderful jobs with wonderful CVs. And even these guys are being told by directors of golf or committees or boards of directors, just get the fucking golf course open. Yeah. And they can't. They are falling back on 30 years of greenkeeping experience individually. Probably you go into their shed over 100, 150 years of combined experience working on golf courses. And these teams cannot get courses to where they need to be because the weather is beating them. And, yes. and committees, it seems to me, Mark, and this might be a bold statement, that these majority of these committees are getting worse. Yes. I think, I think we were... We, we all talk about education to the membership and education within the club, but um, I've been I've been in this industry a long time, and and while I have seen some improvements, and 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 we all know Stuart that there are enlightened golf clubs, yes, where they they employ a professional course manager head greenkeeper, and they listen to what the course manager head greenkeeper has to say. They take on board his experience and his knowledge. And with the help of an understanding agronomist or an advisor, they they will never question that. The, 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 they will always ask the agronomist and the course manager for his opinion. And ultimate control will be, well, it's the expert's opinion. We pay him for his knowledge and experience, and we trust him. Unfortunately, golf, a lot of golf clubs don't work that way. And we're, we're dealing with people who who have egos and they have issues over their self-esteem and their and and they it's a power trip they've you know they they they, they, they couldn't manage a window box but they, they they've been on the internet and they, they're now telling course managers how to look after their you know 200 acres of a golf course you know um 
but it's all the, a lot of these things are all linked you know and it is it, we, we are with climate the the improvement in standards or the expectation of higher standards you know Sky TV has been has been great in so many ways, but it's been terrible in other ways because it 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 beamed American golf into our living rooms. In you know, April. With, with, you know, with, with, with the Augusta syndrome, we all joke about it, but you know, we've all seen the videos of four o'clock in the morning. You know, a five minute queue of machinery leaving the sheds, and and it, and each each utility vehicle's got six members of staff on as this convoy of machines and makes its way onto a golf course. You know, well, the members see, oh, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? And they all they want a bit of that. It's human nature. They don't want to pay for it. They've always had golf too cheap. You know, so but. Yeah. You you know you start hitting them in the pocket, and we talked in the in the last podcast about alternatives for funding money, and maybe you know a pound. I, I think I said a pound from every yeah. competition goes to the management of the course into a pot. But you know it there seems little little urge to change. You know, and it's education, and as, as you said, it, things are getting worse. You know, and we're we're short of staff. But yeah, and. Another thing is that when the when you've always done something a certain way, like if you've been a manager for 20 years and you just, you know, you have periods where you're very proactive and you're working really hard and you're working really well with your team. And then for, for whatever reasons, whether it be home life or private life or whatever, your eye goes off the ball a bit and you have a bad year and then the weather's against you that year and you'll have a bad year and then you'll you'll get back on it and everything will be great. But if you've always done something a certain way and it worked, but slowly and surely the choice of the chemicals get gets reduced, the strength of the chemicals get reduced, the things that helped you do your job and helped you keep your surfaces, all of a sudden you, you question yourself, this is not working. I've got more disease than I've ever had. You know, it's been it's been 50. I remember going into work one day on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, and it was 17 degrees on New Year's Day, you know, and it's like, what you know so what these are all the little things that are making the job harder and harder and and also making people struggle more and we put our trust in well the evil empire i call them which is yeah. is you know the the agrochemical industry you know it's 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 a huge behemoth that trundles along and, you know, we see, you know, five or six companies dictate everything to us and they all come out with very, very similar products. And and we, young lads, especially getting into the industry, they will ask these guys for their, their opinion on, oh, what should I use? And it'll always be, you need to buy something and you need to put it on. And yeah. if that doesn't work, you need to buy something else and you need to put it on. And if that doesn't work, you need to buy something and put it on you know and it's this cycle of often okay reps from companies are basis trained but most of them have never sat in front of a greens committee and had four guys pointing the finger at you going why is the golf course shut why are we covered in disease what you know why why is there no recovery why have we got bare areas all over the golf course why is the birds pecking they, they've never sat there you know they get the commission from their sales and drive off in their forty thousand pound company car, when the course manager's got a thousand pound banger, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, that's I jokingly call them the evil empire, but they're part of the issue, you know. And they don't like 
the small alternatives. I found a lot of hostility when I was working for soil biology. I really did. I knew I was going in to talk to people who I knew in the industry and other companies had been in. Slag, oh, that's not going to work. That's a load of rubbish. Compost tea's crap. Oh, just dirty water, isn't it? You know, whatever. But it was, that's that's the way it is. And because it's not that they don't believe in it, but they've got something to protect because they've got something to lose, you know. And It strikes me, Mark, that there is a lot of, industry regulation and there is a lot of regulation in a lot of industries there's there is regulation within turf but on the flip side of that there's also these larger companies i'm not saying they're not regulated but the the way in which they operate and potentially certain individuals operate within these bigger companies the the face-to-face guys that me and you deal with not day to day but week to week or month to month i i one of my a, a good reliable rep uh left the i saw him for the last time today and it will be a shame that i won't see him anymore um other people who may well be taking over uh we will see how i go with them but there are people who i not that i don't deal with but there are people that i don't actively encouraged to come and see me because I don't like the way that they yeah. operate. That's um, right. I don't, and it, I don't, it, it is a trust issue. There's, there's, there's guys I have faith in and it's not necessarily faith in the product, but there are individuals, I won't mention their names, but I have faith that they have my best interests at heart. Yes. That me personally or the golf course that I am managing. And there are other people who come to see me and I just think you do not give one toss. You probably have to look at a bit of paper to remind yourself of my name when you get into the car park. Um, <laughs> which, yeah. which, but I digress, Mark. Um, let's move forward, Mark. And I want to just throw a spin on this because we've got so much stuff to talk about in the future. But you started this podcast by saying, you're at, you've left the industry now, which is a huge shame. Uh, and we've mentioned two or three times that this industry can be a bit of a struggle and almost why would anyone join it? But I'm still doing it. Thousands of people around the UK and tens of thousands of people around the world do this and enjoy it. Um, and I... It's a, great, it's a great job. Talk when, to us, Mark, about yeah, what yeah. you will miss about the industry. My my day to day interaction with my team and the staff I work with that's that's the thing I miss I miss the most um, getting into work and having that balance and as I was always one for we're here to work we're here to to work and to provide a golf course to the highest standard that we can but let's have a good time doing it you know um, you're, you're a long time dead and you you know you think about it if, if you're in bed for. Eight, if you're lucky enough to get eight hours sleep, eight hours, <laughs> yeah, and then and then and then you're in work for at least eight hours, and then traveling to and from work. You know, the the biggest part of your waking life by a mile is is the time you spend at work. So you know, if 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 you're going to work and 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 it's a miserable place to be, um, then you know it's, it's your lifestyle. You know, it's it's hard. I always said to myself that if when I was getting my swinging my leg out of bed in the morning, 
half four, five o'clock, whenever. If if I was if I was waking up going, oh, I don't want to, then that was the time that I even had to leave where I was working or look for an alternative golf course because things yeah. had, you know, whatever. Um, some member said to me at Manchester, I've been there 15 years, and he said, well, it's uh, a bit of a failure. I'm only doing 15 years. Oh, really? <laughs> and I thought, my God, mate. And I, and I, and I never realised 10, 10 at one golf club is the limit because after 10 years, things start to change, you know, right. regardless of how good a job you've I've, done. I've you never know. done 10 years anywhere, so I'm all right. <laughs> No, but you know, but it's it's. I I thought well, I've got to do something, and and, and of course at, at Morecambe it was it was difficult, and I'd got to the point where I'd been in the industry so long, and I I just thought I'm not going to be told how to do my job by one or two individuals who just have no idea what's involved in 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 the managing of a golf course and its surfaces and the managing of the membership and and the senior staff in the club you know the general manager and the pro you know the, these are all relationships that you have and you know when it's going well with your greens chairman you know and and you're all pulling together it's 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 fantastic you know especially when you're you're on an upward trajectory you know because we all know stewards if you if your golf course stands still all the other clubs in your area are going to come stampeding past you because they're going to be investing in machinery maybe they might have more staff than you they'll they'll invest in improvements they'll get contractors in which you know is, is up to them i always like to do things in-house because it gave the staff a bigger part of what was going on at the club and it gave them the satisfaction at the end of the day when they stood back and they went yeah we built that tea we built that bunker we did that drainage and it also it, it trained them for their future yeah. they could go to a golf club as you know move forward go up the ladder be a deputy and go, yeah, I've built bunkers. Me and me and me and two of the young lads built bunkers and we built tees and we know how to do this and we know how to do that. It gives them the confidence to move on and progress in the industry. And that's that was my that's my biggest achievement. Forget about all the work I did on golf courses and whatever, draining them, altering them, cutting trees down, which you know I love by the way, you know. Uh, <laughs> um uh, my biggest achievement is the the human the lads the human beings I worked with and the lads who came on board either straight from school or straight from some sort of college and just you know developed over a number of years and have moved on to um, management positions of their own and fourteen in my career you know yeah. so. Even though some of those have now left the industry, because they probably realised I sold them a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, this is this has been a wonderful episode, and every time me and you put a podcast out, I have three or four people, a couple of people, always the same people, private message me and and tell me that they really enjoy it, and then I have a couple of other people dip in and out and say they've sort of recently found the podcast or they know you from the industry and blah. And a few people have suggested that they might want to come on. So what I'm saying in this podcast now is me and Mark will probably continue to have these chats, but some of these chats will be better off beneficial and we could advance them somewhat with another point of view and, Definitely. and another aspect. So if you're listening to this 
and you think you might like the idea, just drop me a message, drop Mark a message and he can talk to me. What we do is this is all pre-recorded. So we pre-record it and then we put it out. We decide we're happy with it. If you come on, have a chat and decide you're not happy, we don't put it out. It's as simple as that. But Mark, this has been 2024. Like I said at the start, or well, this is the start of 2024, and I need to find a slogan for me and you talking. Like I say, turf <laughs> chat, turf talk, talking turf. Mm. I thought something about, well, grassing each other up or something it might be a fun one, but then there's loads <laughs> of people in the industry doing that. So someone's probably coined that phrase anyway. Uh, Mark. No, it should, it should just be that pain in the ass is on again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the man who's got the freedom of the industry because he's out. Um, yes, Mark, I can say what I want. I can upset who I want. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being the first guest in 24. Thank you for your continued support away from the podcast. You're someone I can rely on for a WhatsApp message and encouragement, be it personal mm. or green industry. I appreciate that. People appreciate listening to you. And I think me, and we will continue to put stuff out. We do need, we're probably going to, I need to come up with a couple more angles, but I look forward to chatting to you again, mate. And just say thank you for this episode. Uh, and let's hope to a positive 2024. Well, thanks, Stuart. And thanks, well, obviously having me on again and letting me vent. But also, thank you for actually doing this for the industry because it's, it's you know, I think it's the only one I know of where it's just a sort of round table and you invite people. So, you know, well done. We're trying. Thank you, Mark. Cheers, mate.